And now, Father, we thank you for what you will teach us as we open your precious word. And we will give you all the praise and thanks as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you will take your Bibles with me, let us turn to 1 Peter. We go back to 1 Peter, and we are finally concluding our series together of this tremendous letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to the churches. And if you recall, way back when we first started, and that was some time ago, that uh, we titled this series, Alien Life. Alien Life. And that, again, is because he opened his letter, as you recall, speaking to all the Christians that were scattered in, uh, throughout the empire. And he called them to, uh, aliens. He called them those who reside as aliens or foreigners, those who were scattered. The Jewish people were scattered. The Christians were scattered. They were being persecuted. So he is writing this letter to encourage the church in their sufferings. And so now we've come to the last few verses, and tonight so we we conclude with verses 12 12 through 14 together. And uh, what I'd like to do is first read... uh, Okay, excuse me. Um, we're going to read this to, together, and then we're going to break, break it down as we conclude this uh, wonderful, wonderful message from the Apostle Peter. So verse 12, he writes in concluding his letter, Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, or also translated as I can consider him, uh, or as I account. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. And so does my son, Mark. And of course, he's speaking of his spiritual son, Mark, uh, who came to Christ. Verse 14. Greet one another with a kiss of love, or translated, a holy kiss. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. So he concludes his letter with these few verses, and uh, there, there, there is some debate, again, uh, on some of these things, especially concerning verse 13. Um, we'll, we'll get there in just a moment, but let's go back to verse 12, where he actually is summarizing all that he has just shared in his letter. And therefore, he says, through Silvanus. Now, Silvanus is... Silas. You remember Paul and Silas. You know that, uh, and you recall what happened to Paul and Barnabas, that when they had a rift over John Mark and uh, Barnabas's uh, nephew, that uh, Paul didn't want him on the journey with him, the missionary journey with him, because he was too young. He had already kind of Cause, uh, has, hadn't done things right. He was just a burden. And, of course, Barnabas said, 
well, then we should probably part ways because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to minister with him. And so he, t- he took him with him. And that is the uh, John Mark the, there in verse 13. And so does my son Mark. But this is speaking of Silas, who was the new missionary partner of Paul once he and Barnabas had separated. And this is his great Greek name, Silvanus. And so uh, Peter used this word. Now, he says there, through Silvanus, or through uh, Silas, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. That word through indicates that Silvanus was the messenger who brought the letter to the churches there in Asia Minor. So he carried the, church, the, the letter to a church, and then it was passed down and passed down to other churches. But he would, he would take it to the churches, Silvanus. And so it was through him it was carried, but also it is believed that most likely Silvanus was also Peter's secretary, that he may have sat there and wrote down this letter as the Apostle Peter uh, dictated it, and of course through the Holy Spirit. And so most likely through Silvanus the letter was written, and through Silvanus the letter was carried out to the churches. But I love that Peter, what Peter added to this, he could have just said, and through Silvanus, uh, you know, I have written to you. Through Silvanus, but he adds that beautiful statement, our faithful brother, our faithful brother. And then he adds in parentheses there, uh, for so I regard him. In other words, Peter wants the churches to know the man who's bringing them the letter is a faithful brother in Christ. And he's, he's giving Silvanus the this, this stamp, a Peter's stamp of approval as a faithful uh, missionary for the Lord. And he is letting the churches know what Peter thinks of this man who helped dictate, uh, write the letter and then carry it to the different churches that people could look at Sylvanus and, and understand, if they've never met him before, what Peter thinks of him, a faithful brother. And could there be a better epitaph? If we think of the day of uh, should the Lord uh, tarry, that we would... We would uh, at our, we pass and go through the valley of the shadow of death. And at our funeral, um, what, what a great testimony it would be if just that were said about each one of us, that someone would get up and say, now there, I know from a fact that that is a faithful or brother or sister in Christ. They were found faithful. And... I don't think there's any greater testimony uh, to a Christian's life than being called faithful. Think about it, that, that if we are called faithful, that means we, we, we've been considered faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful to his word doesn't mean 
we, we, we uh, lived a perfect life, sinless life, that uh, there's not times that we doubted or we slipped and fell. But through it all, we continue to remain faithful. I just, I just love this about what Peter wrote about Sylvanus here. Faithfulness. So he's a faithful brother. But then we come to the rest of verse 12, where he says, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. That this is the true grace of God. So what is it if he says this is the true grace of God, what is the this this is? What is he speaking of when he says this is the true grace of God? Well, this basically means everything that Peter had just written in his letter. It's everything that he has written. And so he's saying to you, I have written to you briefly. So through my letter, basically saying, I have written to you, exhorting and testifying that this, the truth that I have shared with you, the truth from God, God's word, that this, the, uh, that this is the true grace of God, the word of God. Everything there in, the, uh, uh, in his letter refers to this true grace of God. We see the grace of God throughout the scriptures. We see the, the, many of the believers uh, who were sustained by the grace of God. And, of course, we know that the Apostle Paul was one of them. And the way he, he, uh, he uh, relied upon the grace of God. But this true grace of God... What does he say? He leaves them with this one statement. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in the true grace of God. And I think that goes there again. Would We could use the word faithfulness or being faithful. Being faithful to the Lord, faithful to his word and, and standing firm in it. In what God's word says. So this is his, uh, Peter's final command. He's basically saying to them, uh, stand firm in the gospel that was given to you. Stand firm. Stand firm upon the word of God and believe it. And since this is the main uh, exhortation uh, here in the last few verses... I think it's important that we, we look at a few passages concerning grace tonight. <clears throat> and if you were to pick out a, a story in the Old Testament of grace, grace being shown, which account, which story would come to your mind? Is there, a, is there Old Testament, uh, just somebody name one. yes. Joseph. That's exactly right. That's where I was going, Dave. Yeah, was anyone else thinking of Joseph? Yes, there was grace. Thank you, Dave, because we're going to turn to it now. If you turn to Genesis 50 with me, 
Let's go to Genesis 50. Now, uh, of course, he had already met his brothers, but Genesis 50, uh, this is, uh, he had already met his brothers, and his, his brothers uh, had stood before him. Um, actually, j- just go over to, um, go to verse, uh, chapter 45, and then we'll go to 50. Go to 45, verse 4. Genesis 45, verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery, into Egypt. And now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Can you imagine, those of you who were farmers, uh, having seven years of famine? Seven years. But Joseph knew, he was so close to his walk with the Lord, he knew God had a purpose for his life in all the suffering. Verse 7, and he said to his brothers, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph had such a beautiful spirit of forgiveness. And anytime we see grace in in the word of God or any story, any account, we will almost always see forgiveness. Because that t- would take us of course to the cross that we think, talk about the grace of God that was bestowed upon you and me so that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. That is forgiveness. So in the, grace produces forgiveness, and that's what we see in Joseph. He had a heart of forgiveness, no bitterness, and so he was showing grace. He was standing firm in the grace of God because he believed that that in spite of all that his brothers did to him, he wasn't carrying bitterness and anger towards them and vengeance, which many, many people would, would do as soon as they, 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 they couldn't wait to get, you know, to get back at their brothers. But here we see a picture of grace, that Joseph was standing firm, as Peter was telling the church, stand firm in grace, which means he was standing firm in the will of God. That's what struck me about this, that Joseph is uh, understood that no matter how bad things got, thrown in a pit, sold as a slave, thrown into jail, and all these things happened to him, he could have died, but all the while, he didn't understand, but 
he believed that God had a plan. God had a plan for his life. And, and as he looked back, suddenly he would arrive at a certain point in his life and he'd look back and say, Lord, that's why you allowed this. How many of you have, have that kind of a testimony? I know many of you do where you can share that you look back and you see the times in your life where the Lord was, was strengthening you, was leading you, guiding you, protecting you, and, and planning something in your life all along. And he uses other people in your life to do it, whether it be brothers or people who mean evil for you or someone who loves you and, and is seeking your best. But here is the perfect example of David, uh, I'm sorry, of, of, of Joseph uh, showing us what forgiveness is. And, uh, you know, we have to think, too, uh, of David. Uh, and you did mention David, uh, King, King David, that uh, he had to show grace and forgiveness when it came to King Saul, didn't he? He had to, f- to f- realize that that was God's anointed. He would not take vengeance on him. And he was able to forgive him. But I want to now look at some of these other scriptures here that um, are given to us concerning the grace of God. Turn, if, if you will, to me, uh, if you will, with me, to First uh, Corinthians. Okay, First Corinthians fifteen ten. First Corinthians fifteen ten. The Apostle Paul speaks to the church. In Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15. And here the Apostle Paul refers to the grace of God again here. He speaks of the grace of God. Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but what? The grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Here the Apostle Paul lays out to the church. He says, everything I am today that you see, any ministry that I've, I have done up to this point in my life, anyone that was saved through my ministry, or uh, uh, anything I have done for the Lord, it was all by the grace of God. He understood that he could take no credit for what he did, for, his, for, for any um, success that he had in his life. And oh, how we have to catch ourselves, you know, that, that when, when there are times where you feel you've accomplished something and it's so easy to go, I did it. Uh, yeah, I, I can't believe I did it. And we tend to forget that it was all, that we arrived there and the success was brought by the grace of God because of his hand upon our life. Hand upon our life. And then uh, turn to James now, if you would, with me. James chapter 4. Let's go to James 4, verse 6. 
James 4, 6, James writes, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposed, is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. The time we experience God's grace in the most powerful way is when we are of humble heart. And we, re- we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I cannot do this. You may be called to do some kind of ministry or there's something before you that looks impossible, a family situation, a relationship, something that you're trying to fix. And you, you realize that I can't fix this. And so we humble ourselves before the Lord and call upon him. Lord, I don't know what to do. And so we cast our care upon him and we say, Lord, you do it. I'm trusting you. And as we humble ourselves before the Lord, that is when the grace of God sustains us and gives us strength. It gives us the strength to go on and to continue to be able to to do what God has called us to do. And therefore, we are st- at that moment we are standing firm in the grace of God. Oh, that wonderful grace that the Lord has has shown to us uh, through his son, the Lord Jesus. And we we have that grace given to each one of us. And <clears throat> I want to Look at uh, another passage together before we go back to uh, finish up in First Peter. But Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter twelve, Second Corinthians twelve, with me, because we can't. <clears throat> if we're going to talk about standing firm in grace, in the grace of God, uh, <clears throat> as Peter is exhorting the believer to do, we have to come to Paul's experience with God's grace. The familiar passage, 2 Corinthians 12, pick it up at verse 7. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from what? Exalting myself. You see, there's where Paul is talking about pride and humility. That God wanted, God's ultimate purpose was to keep Paul humble in the ministry. Keep him humble before the Lord. And in order to do that, sometimes God has to allow affliction. And he allowed this, though it was a messenger of Satan, it was under the sovereign will of God. And I think this is one of those passages where... We don't understand, again, why God allows the suffering of his saints. We know he has great purpose that we might come forth like gold and that we might be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But to, to understand that, that God will allow Satan to carry out the buffeting in our life, the attacks on our life, But God allows it for a purpose, a purpose to keep our hearts humble before him. And Paul recognized this. 
So whatever that thorn in the flesh was, which we believe was maybe had something to do with the eyes, he says, so God allowed this, this to happen to me. So concerning this thorn in the flesh, verse 8, concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. How many times, by the way, have you prayed recently for God to do something? Think of, of that thing, that person, that situation you have been praying for. And you prayed more than three times for God to send an answer. For God to bring deliverance, to buy, God to bring relief or health. And Paul went before the Lord earnestly three times asking the Lord to take it away. And what was God's answer to him, verse 9? And he said to me, Paul writes, my grace is what? Sufficient for you. For power, my power, is perfected in weakness. The Lord Jesus said this to Paul. Said, Paul, I'm not going to change your circumstances. I'm not going to change your suffering and pain where you are right now. There's something here, Paul, that I'm allowing you to live with. And it's going to hurt. But I have a purpose. I want you to learn to depend on me and me alone. Christ alone. That he is my source of strength. It's so easy if we are full of health and and everything is is going well in our life and we don't have seem to have any major problems and uh, the finances are good the health is good the family's pretty good and so we kind of roll along and in our comfort zone and and then uh, it's so easy to be at ease in Zion and to lay back and and say boy I've got it pretty good but for us to be used really of the Lord Sometimes the Lord wants to teach us through the fire of affliction to depend on him and understand that the grace that he will give me in my weakness is sufficient to strengthen me and sustain me. And that's why he writes in the rest of verse 9 and 10, Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For whose sake? For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you remember the times that you were so weak and you thought, I am not going to make it? I am not going to get through the day. And all of a sudden, you felt an inner strength when you called upon the Lord. You read his word. You prayed and cried out to him. Suddenly, you felt felt an uplifting, a strength that carried you through. And you look back and go, how did I do that? How did I get through? I had no strength. I felt like I was dying. I was weak. And everything was going to come apart. But God carried us, carried you through by his grace. And you look back and realize it was only the power of Christ that sustained you. This is what it means to stand firm in the grace of God. And so I pray as we close here tonight that, dear Christian, you would take this truth with you. 
that you would stand firm in the word of God because that's where we'll find his, the truth of his grace and that, that grace will come from the living Christ that lives within us. And so if you'll turn back here to 1 Peter, let's look at the last few verses then. 1 Peter 5, verse 13, he then goes on and says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark, his spiritual son. But that phrase has been debated and uh, talked about by many scholars over the years. What does Peter mean when he says, she who is in Babylon? Well, some think it was literal Babylon, that Peter's talking about the, the, the people in Babylon, the church in Babylon. Uh, now, the word she there would refer, has to refer basically to a group of people. In the, and he uses uh, the, the feminine form here, she, rather than he, because that's the way God looks at the church. We are, what, the bride of Christ. So we are, as it were, uh, are called the she of God. You know, so, so we are, the church is the she of Christ. And so speaking of the church, a specific church, she who is in Babylon. And Babylon, of course, is a symbol of wickedness, depravity, and many good scholars believe that Peter was using the name Babylon as almost like a disguise for the city of Rome because this letter was going out, out. And so maybe to protect the church in Rome, he was writing this. And so, uh, so most Bible scholars uh, understand this to mean that it is the church at Rome. And how do we know that it would be a church? Well, it's because of the next part of the sentence. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you. Do you see that? Chosen together with you. Well, if, if Paul, uh, Peter is writing to these other churches, and now he's talking about Uh, She is chosen together with you. This is not talking about one individual woman, but talking about other believers who were chosen in Christ together with these other churches. And so he's basically saying the church in Rome that was chosen with you in Christ sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. So he's sending greetings to, uh, to all the churches from the church at Rome. And then he concludes with verse 14, greet one another with a holy kiss or a kiss of love. It's also translated. Now, back in the, uh, in, in the Middle East, and ma- how many of you have ever traveled overseas and you've gone to like Europe and other places? If you, if you go to the Middle East, and, and I've been there a few times on my trips to Israel. And uh, you go there, and do you, have you ever seen them greet one another? Friends. 
they would kiss each other on the cheek. But the men wouldn't be kissing the women, and the women or women the men, but it was always men would give a holy kiss or a, a greetings kiss to uh, a man and a woman to a woman. And it was basically uh, a kiss on the cheek, which was a sign of, a, of, of a, like a family affection, that you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. And so that's what he's talking about here, to greet one another with a, a holy, holy kiss or a kiss of love. It was cultural then, and it's even cultural today as you see it. Um, it just reminds me of the... Um, if you ever seen uh, the uh, movies of uh, like the uh, mafia, now you didn't never saw movies of the mafia or anything like that. I know, but uh, if you you ever heard stories or saw clips or anything like that of of anything to do with with uh, the Italian culture, right? You would always see that that kiss that that on the side of the cheek now sadly if you were in the mafia that was not a good thing that the kiss on the cheek meant said uh by the way you're going to be put in cement shoes and then off you go but but it's here peter is uh, is trying to say to the church Continue to love one another. Show affection to one another. Oh, that we as a church might do that. And then he concludes it all by saying, Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Let us take with us tonight the grace of God, understanding that that grace is given to you and me, and it is always there to strengthen us through Christ, no matter what waits for you out there this week that he will sustain you in your weakness, that you and I can stand firm in the word of God and stand firm in his grace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for the grace you bestowed at Calvary. You poured out your grace upon us. And Father, you, you saved us from our sin. We did not deserve salvation. We did not deserve forgiveness of sin. But just like Joseph forgave his brothers, Lord, showing, giving us a demonstration of agape love, so you showed that love to us in sending your only begotten Son. And that through him we can experience your grace. And we can experience it every day by finding that his grace is sufficient for our, in our weakness. Father, help us to stand firm in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.